what a privilege to be in, uh, to be with our church family. You know, some of you I've never met before. This is actually my first time in this building, but I get to be with the, 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 the brothers and sisters of the family of God. I mean, this is incredible that I get to be in your house. Thank you guys so much for inviting us, Pastor Brandon, Family Life Church, for having us. My name is Michael Hankins. My wife, Victoria, and I have the privilege of serving as the directors of a program that we can do nothing but just brag about. And I don't brag about in our strength. Like, I'm not here to talk about me. I'm not here to talk about my incredible staff. I get to come here tonight to brag about Jesus Christ and what he's doing in Louisiana Adult and Teen Challenge. So just to kind of give you guys a little, just a little survey, actually, I want to kind of see, has, is there anyone here who's never heard about Teen Challenge? If so, just raise your hand. Yes, there's one, two. This is beautiful. We are achieving our goal already, which is raising awareness about what this program is. Guys, I just want to tell you a little bit about the program. So Adult and Teen Challenge is, our goal is to put hope within reach of everyone struggling in addiction. That's our number one purpose. We set out with that mission every day. And we're, we're affecting this community here. So we are the Lafayette Center. There are eight centers across Louisiana. Eight centers that are, that are, their purpose is to set men, women, and women with children free from drug and alcohol addiction. So all of these eight centers, they're broken up into different parts. And so I could tell you about the different phases. So, you know, Lafayette Teen Challenge, we are a four month program. We are the first four months of a, of an 18 month long program. 18 months. Uh, is the dedication that somebody gives whenever they come into a program like this. People from all different walks of life, business owners, people straight out of, straight out of jail. I mean, there's all different, all different walks of life. And so the Lafayette Center, we are an induction center. So we get guys straight off the street or straight out of jails and they come into our program and then they, they go to our classes. They, they attend chapels every single day and, and then they, they phase up to our second phase, which is in Dodson, Louisiana. So this is a men's center. And so this, this second, second phase in Dodson is also a men's center. And, and so they're in the residential part of the program for a year. And I could, I could tell you about the classroom. I could tell you about, you know, the discipline structure. I could tell you about the schedule and I could be very detailed and you could leave with like not remembering any of it. So I just, I want to make sure that you understand that it's okay if you don't understand how this program works. There are pastors, there are friends of Teen Challenge that have been a part of this incredible organization for over a decade, and they still will tell me and other leaders are like, we, we still don't understand how you guys work. So it's okay. So what I'm here today is not to clear all up for you. My goal tonight is to share with you a simple way of explaining what Adult and Teen Challenge is. If See, a lot of the people that come into our program are broken. I was. And so if you were to break your arm, you know, you go to the doctor, you have a broken arm. And it's, you know, you, you need it fixed, right? So the doctor, what does he do? He, he sets it back in place. He puts it back in place and is it healed? No, it's not healed at that point, right? What does he do next? Well, he puts a cast on it. And does that cast heal it? No, the cast doesn't heal it either. The doctor doesn't heal it. The cast doesn't heal it. Well, who heals it? Well, God heals it. See, Teen Challenge is the cast. See, when somebody comes into Teen Challenge, oftentimes they're broken. They've been beat up by life. They've made a lot of bad decisions and they need to be healed but they keep re-breaking themselves. They can't figure out how to walk this thing out until they need help. And like a cast, Teen Challenge can be a little bit itchy, a little bit hot. These guys are going to be nodding here in a minute because they're like, yes, this program can be a little bit difficult because this program is the most difficult thing many, many people ever face in their life. And the reason why it's so difficult is because they're being held still and being put into a place where they're going to allow God to do the work in their life. So Adult and Teen Challenge, has uh, a success rate that is unparalleled. It is 
I get to brag on Jesus now because like there's the recidivism rate in, in jails and the correctional rate. If you look at these numbers, they're just, they're, they're depressing. If I, if I, if I were to share with you the success rate of some of the most successful secular programs that exist in the United States that have the full backing of the United States government, you would look at their success rate and you would be like, that costs that much? Adult and Teen Challenge, we do not charge tuition for our students. And we have recently partnered with Evangel University and done a study of, of hundreds of centers across the nation and have found that of the people that go through our entire program, that they graduate our program, 78% live drug and alcohol free for the rest of their lives. That is a moment where we get to celebrate Jesus. Come on, church. We get to celebrate what God is doing. So God has, has provided a, a, a cast that's Teen Challenge that where God does the work in, in, uh, in, in the lives of the students that come in. 78% that go through our program experience total freedom. 92.9% of our graduates have improved relationships from the rest of, for the rest of their lives, improved relationships with family and friends. 91% of our graduates never experience any legal trouble again. It's, it's incredible that I get to do this every day, that I get to be a part of this. And it's, I just wanted to make sure that you know about it because church, I want you to know that we are a resource for you. We are a resource that you can utilize to help people that need, that need it the most. You walked in today with a pamphlet. I want to make sure that you all got a pamphlet. So if you did not get a pamphlet, if you could just shoot your hand up real quick, because I have some people that, yeah, there's some people, Victoria, Alex, Scotty, if you guys would help make sure that those people get pamphlets, those things are really important. Absolutely. Yes. I want to make sure you get a pamphlet. Yeah. Please let us know that you don't have one Yeah, because we want to make sure that you are, you have the materials that you need in order to help someone in need. So that pamphlet during this service, I want you to keep it nearby you. And I want you to think about the people in your life that need it the most, because I don't know about you, but I can start naming people in my life, in my family, in my friends, in my, in my, my community that are struggling in addiction. If you're driving down the road, every fourth house that you drive by has someone that's suffering an addiction in it. Over 20 million Americans in the United States reported that they themselves struggle in addiction. Now, those are the ones that were honest. How many of you have been actually honest? I mean, seriously, when, when the government's polling you, there are, there are well over 40 million people in the United States. Those are the conservative estimates of people that are struggling in addiction. 40 million people right now in the United States. Do you know how many beds there are in, in the United States for faith-based residential treatment facilities? There's about 1,200 beds. Yeah, we are in an epidemic. And our government's getting getting behind it. it. There's the opioid crisis. You're seeing it right now. But I'm telling you right now, the solution, we have it. We have found the solution, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the author and perfecter and finisher of our faith, yes, but he is our avenue for deliverance. So we're here tonight to just, to just lift his name up. That's our goal tonight is to raise awareness about Teen Challenge and then worship him with you tonight. So tonight, you're going to hear some, 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 some of our guys. They're going to sing uh, some songs. They're not singing them for you, please. You're awesome, but they're not for you. Uh, they're singing them to God. I encourage you to worship with us as we worship tonight. There's going to be guys coming up to sing. They're going to be sharing testimonies. And afterward, I'm going to be uh, sharing with you a word I believe God has for Family Life Church tonight. Uh, and I'm excited that God has brought us here with you tonight. So please, please keep that pamphlet nearby. Be thinking about the people in your life that could use something like this. Because I'm going to tell you, you're about to watch 
17 miracles come on this stage. 17 people who have been radically delivered from a life of substance abuse where they found no hope and no solution. They had Everyone tried to help. They've tried every different way that they could. And they had 17 men that are going to be walking on the stage that have experienced complete and total freedom from drug and alcohol addiction. And the yeah, that's awesome. I mean, God gets all of the glory for that. So I'm about to, I'm about to stop talking. Uh, they're going to play a, a video. As that video is going, our guys are going to be coming up. We're going to sing some songs and testimonies and uh, just, just be, be expecting to see what God is going to do tonight. Being abandoned by my mother at the age of two, it left me with feelings of hurt and rejection. Bound by addiction, insecurity, and fear, I found myself searching for acceptance in drugs and alcohol. Drugs and alcohol and abusive men led me to hospital stays, rehabs, and jails several times. I remember living in a motel room with my wife and three kids because we lost everything we owned because of my selfish addictions. No one close to me believed a word I said because of the lies and manipulation to get whatever I wanted. I remember waking up in a puddle of my own vomit and blood and just being so disgusted with my life. I put my pistol in my mouth and pulled the trigger and it clicked and... I found out that evening when I got home that my friend took the bullets out the night before when we were out partying because he was worried about me. I found myself riding in the back of a police car to jail with my husband as a result of my bad decisions. I had a great job, but I lost it because I took so many pills that I passed out at my desk over and over. There was one point where I didn't even have enough money to feed my children because I'd already spent it all on my drugs. I remember being 19 years old and snorting so much cocaine that my nose bled and all the while trying to snort more in hopes that it would stop. I believed that the only way to find love was through multiple meaningless relationships and drugs. Finding out that my only son was in the hospital, instead of going to the hospital to look after him, I went and looked for more drugs to get high, not knowing I would never see him alive again. I grew up watching my mother use pills and alcohol on a daily basis. I used to watch her overdose on Christmas and my birthday. I lived in the darkness of hopelessness and insecurity because by the time I was 23, I had buried my mother, my father, my brother, and my first son. I was bound by so much shame and guilt from raising my three children. After raising them for five years, I abandoned them for a man and an IV drug addiction that I would have sold my soul to satisfy. Since coming to Teen Challenge, I have been transformed by God's grace. I have forgiven and let go of the anger that I carried against my mother for so long. Because of my faith in God, I have found hope, security, and a purpose to live. I no longer let the losses I've experienced determine my future. Even though I was abandoned by my mother, through Teen Challenge, they've shown me that God will never leave me. The day after my son's funeral at the age of 24, I came into Teen Challenge and my life has never been the same since. I will never use drugs and alcohol again, and now I work for Teen Challenge full-time, helping others with the same problems I once had. My husband and I both entered Teen Challenge last year, and we now have a wonderful hope and peace in our lives. I wake up happy and sober every day now, and I can finally say I take care of my family the way God intended. I know.
rededicated my life to the Lord, and I even became involved in active ministry. I later that year met my future wife through the church and thought I was living the dream. Within the first few years of marriage, I found myself drinking again slowly and secretively slipping back into my destructive ways of living. This resulted in me losing my career, ability to work in the medical field, effectiveness in ministry, and due to my own struggles with sexual immorality, eventually losing the love of my life and my family as well, I had utterly hit rock bottom. Multiple suicide attempts and contemplations later, I found myself one night at my house, gun in my mouth, house surrounded by police, considering suicide by a cop. The events of that night landed me in a parish jail and mental health counseling for the following eight months. It was there that I remembered the ministry of Teen Challenge visiting my church, and I reached out through the system. 
Since coming to Teen Challenge, I've been completely delivered from thoughts of suicide and depression. I no longer have to take any form of medication. I have recommitted my life to God, and I feel God calling me to evangelism, and I have a heart to go into full-time mission. I've even decided to remain pure until marriage through learning who I am in Christ. I no longer need any external thing of this world to validate who and what I am. I am a new creation indeed. The verse I stand on is 2 Corinthians 12.9, but he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest upon me.
Hi, my name is Jacob. I grew up in a loving Christian home with both my parents. Being raised in church, I knew God my entire life. At the age of 14, I felt God place a calling on my life to be a worship leader. Eventually, I stepped into that calling through my youth group, joining my worship group. Life was great. I loved everything about my life. I had an amazing family, both at home and at church. But little did I know, my faith would be tested, and my life turned upside down. One day, while at church, it was a work day, and my youth hall was being repainted. We soon used up all the paint, and we needed more. So my brother volunteered to go to the store to get some more paint. Well, there he also purchased some batteries for his laser sight on his handgun. When he got back to the church, while in his car, he decided to change the batteries in his handgun. In the process of doing so, the gun went off. The bullet went into his eye and out the back of his head. I, unfortunately, was the one to find him. It, it is a picture forever imprinted in my mind. His lifeless body was there. Blood and brain matter all over his car. I initially thought he was playing a prank on me, but I was wrong. When I figured this out, all I could do was scream in shock of what I was seeing. My oldest brother and best friend was dead. In the midst of all this, all I could do was to think and pray, lift my hands to God. Depression soon set in after this, but I had to stay strong for the rest of my family. As the coming months and years passed, life continued as nothing had ever happened. Still faithfully attending church and leading my worship team, trying my best to trust God knew what he was doing. Eventually, it was all too much for my mom and my dad, and they split. After all, they had lost their oldest son. My depression came in ten times, o ten times over after they divorced and brought in feelings such as abandonment and not feeling good enough. I began to smoke weed to numb my pain. It was the greatest feeling of joy I had felt since my brother had passed away. I still went to church and led my worship team, but I wasn't growing. I would go to church high as a kite to lead worship. Eventually, church was too much for me, and I stopped going. Eventually, weed wasn't enough for me. So I decided to try something new. It was cocaine. Cocaine made me feel invincible. I started stealing and manipulating any and everybody that I could to get the money to support my habit. Drugs consumed my entire being. They were all I cared about. Drugs made me into someone I was never intended to be. I became a thief, manipulator, and a liar. And most of all, a hypocrite. I reached rock bottom. One night, while high on weed and cocaine, the feelings of depression and not being good enough were intensified so much that for the first time in my life, I contemplated suicide. But thank God for the Holy Spirit. Something told me to pick up my guitar and start worshiping my Creator. God's presence hit me there that night, and I rededicated my life to God. But I knew I had to take a step because I was still addicted. So I reached out to a dear friend of mine, and she reminded me, of a program called Louisiana Adult and Teen Challenge. I signed up that night. Since being here at Louisiana Adult and Teen Challenge, God has radically changed my life. He has freed me from all addiction, freed me from all depressions and feelings of not being good enough because God says, I am good enough. I am his child and I am chosen. The verse that I stand on is James 1, 1 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. 
For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, being nothing. Thank you. We serve such a good God, don't we? My goodness. He is incredible. It doesn't matter what it is that you're facing. He's big enough. It doesn't matter. Uh, see, I, like many of the men that, that come into the program, they feel like that what they've gone through is, man, this is just too big. There's no way I can get free from this. The fact that I'm standing on stage in front of you is miraculous in itself. I had such crippling anxiety. I couldn't go into restaurants. I couldn't, I didn't want to leave my house, right? And then you fast forward a few years. Here I am <laughs> leading a service for Teen Challenge. I mean, that, our God is bigger than whatever it is you're facing tonight. See, a lot of these guys, they come in with a lot of different bondages. They come in with a lot of different labels. See, Teen Challenge, you know, we come, we come in under the guise. We have the, 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 uh, the mission statement of freedom from addiction. But when they come into Teen Challenge, well, I tell them this regularly and they find out pretty quickly. We don't really talk about drugs or alcohol because that's not the real problem. What led these guys into Teen Challenge, the addiction was a symptom issue and that symptom issue got so bad that they needed to change. But there's a lot of different kinds of bondage. See, they have all these different names, but the root issue is sin. It's not, it's, it's not having right standing with God. So tonight I want to share with you a story out of Exodus. I'm just going to share it with you. And then we're going to be, we're going to be digging into Hosea just a little bit. In the book of Exodus, if you want to follow along, you can, you can go to 14. I'm going to be talking to you about 14, 15, 16, and 17. In Exodus chapter 15, there is, there is something incredible. It's the first biblical psalm. It's the first psalm that appears in the Bible. And, uh, there is, uh, there's a reason for this. It appears after an incredible moment of deliverance. God had chosen his people to be delivered from addiction, to, from, delivered from bondage. And so the Israelites were in bondage to the Egyptians for a very, very long time. See, bondage had a name to them, and that name was that slave driver that was over them. It was, it was that, that leader of, of, you know, whatever name it was, the Egyptians, you could call it that. Their bondage was named it, the Egyptians. So God sent Moses to deliver them, and, and he, he sent this, this man who could barely talk, right? He was scared, and he sent Moses to, to, to lead them and deliver them. And so he, he gets them after a really cool long story about plagues and all this awesome stuff. Like God, God uses Moses to, to finally get them out of the city, and he leads them by way of the desert and, and alongside a mountain to the Red Sea. And he leads them to a certain trap. A place where there's like, there's no way this is going to work. There's no way we are going to get free from this. Wait a minute. Moses, this is what the Israelites were saying to Moses. They were saying, you brought us out here because there weren't enough graves in Egypt, right? That's why you brought us out here, because there was not enough room for us to die in Egypt, so you just brought it out here conveniently. And Moses is like, what? I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get you out of there, right? Moses was was being used by God to help deliver them, and they weren't really recognizing it. We're going to see that later in Hosea. They make it to the Red Sea, and God uses Moses to put his hand over the Red Sea, and the Red Sea parts. And the Israelites are, they're stunned. They've, like, literally nothing ever has, nothing like this has ever happened. In all of creation, this moment is incredible. This is an incredible moment. Like, they're watching a sea part. So they pass through the sea on dry ground, and they make it to the other side, and they turn around and watch as 
hundreds of years of bondage, of everything, the, the, the sum total of their anguish, everything that they hate and, and despise is destroyed as that sea washes over them. And so you would think that the Israelites would be elated. They would be happy. And you would be right. They partied like there was no party to ever be had. And that's where Exodus 15 comes in. It's the first psalm in the Bible. It's a song of Moses and Miriam. And the reason why they sang the song, they, they camped there for a couple of days. And then they prepared this song. Then they sang this song to God. They sang it to him. And this song exists because in and this is one of my favorite principles in the Bible. In, in ancient biblical Hebrew, there isn't a phrase for thank you. Like if I were to hold the door for you and try and, ex- and trying to express gratitude in biblical Hebrew, I wouldn't be able to. Because it doesn't make sense. For me to say thank you, those are just words. That's not an expression of gratitude. So what did the Israelites do? They thanked God. They sang a song to God. And they, they were elated. They were excited because their God had delivered them. But then the sun had to rise on the next day and they followed Moses into the desert of Shur where they didn't have water for three days. Now, why would God do this? Why would God deliver his people, radically destroy their enemies and then lead them directly into a desert where they don't have any water? Well, I'll tell you, God has a reason for doing what he's doing. And oftentimes your understanding of it needs to catch up. God leads them through the desert of Shur, be this, this pillar of smoke and fire, right? And they're thirsty. And, and off in the distance, they've been walking for three days in a desert and there's no water to be found. And off in the distance, there's a pool of water and they see it and they're excited and they say, there's water. And so there's about two million people at this point. So you think the people at the front are like, water! And so they start running. They're excited. They see this water off in the distance. You see the first ones just diving in, right? Please know I'm taking liberty with the scripture here. I'm, 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 I'm imagining it, what it would look like that moment. They, you know, they get to the water and the water is not able to be drank. It's so bitter. They can't drink it. And it's so bitter. In fact, they call it the waters of Mara and Elam. And it means the bitter water. So people that are much smarter than I am, archaeologists, historians, they actually found this water. It's called the Ains, and I'm not really, I don't speak Arabic. Uh, it's Ains Harath. The Arab, it's like an, an Arabic region. They found it, and in, in, in Arabic, Ain's Harath means really bad water. <laughs> so they found it. They're like, this is a pretty good idea. That thing is a good source. So the water is about six to eight feet in diameter, and it's totally brackish. You can't drink it. So wait, they're dying of thirst. God delivered them from the, there's just certain bondage through the Egyptians, right? And along the way, they're, they're really thirsty, and you think God would provide for them, but he leads them to a pool of incredibly bitter water that they can't drink. God's trying to show them something. After that, they, they're off into another desert and they're hungry and there's no food and, and then there's again no water later, but there's no food. And so they, they're, you know, when they didn't have water at the waters of Mar, they were looking at Moses like, what are we supposed to drink? And then in the desert again, they don't have any food and they're like, what are we supposed to eat? And the, and the Egyptian and the Israelites said this about, about their, their bondage. They said, at least when we were in Egypt, we had pots of meat to eat from. Now, pots of meat, that's the, that's like what was left over from an animal after it was butchered, like hooves and tongues and ears and stuff like that. So they were, they were, they were looking back with pleasure on their bondage. 
God led them to bitter water. He led them to a place of need because they weren't delivered yet. Although they were delivered from the Egyptians who they thought that was their bondage, although men come in a teen challenge because they think their, their, their main problem is addiction, the Israelites needed freedom from one of the worst things imaginable, the thing that has been plaguing the Israelite community for so long. It is this, this familiar spirit, and that's discontent. See, because discontent, what it does is it magnifies what has passed. Right? The Israelites, they were looking back at the pots of meat, and they were magnifying, and they were saying, at least that was better than what we have now. It magnifies what has passed. That's what discontent does. And it vilifies what is present. They were looking at Moses, and they were mad at Moses, saying, you are here, you brought us here to kill us. Because we're enough graves. You brought us here to starve us to death. See, discontent, what it does is it magnifies what is past. It vilifies what is present without regard to truth or reason. And that, church, was what God was delivering the Israelites from. And that was the foundation for what we're going to study. Thank you for hanging in there with me. If you guys open your Bibles to Hosea chapter 11. The reason why I had to lay that foundation was so I could get you to Hosea 11. Hosea 11 is what I believe is the heart of God when he's so desperately wanting people to know him. And Hosea 11 actually references this experience in Egypt. So that's where we're going to be reading. In Hosea, starting in verse 1 of chapter 11, it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt? Right, there's that discontent wanting to go back, right? And will, they, and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? If they keep going this way, if they keep complaining, if they keep talking about how Moses brought them to kill them, they'll end up right back where they started because being delivered from a symptom does not last. You need to be delivered from the core issue, right? The sin issue, right? Anything that places you put between you and God, right? That's going to be sin. And so he said, they're going to return. And verse seven says, my people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me the God, they call me God most high. I will by no means exalt them. And this is God's heart. In, in Hosea 11, verse 8, he says, How can I give up Ephraim? That's, that's, Ephraim is the name of the son, uh, Hosea's son, but it's Israel. How, how can I give up Israel? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord. Hosea 11, I think it's, it's, a, it's a prophecy of, of God's heart in the midst of his people. He's trying to pull them out of the mess that they have gotten themselves in. Right? Because of their disobedience, they have led themselves into slavery. They have led themselves into bondage. And God is providing a way for them to be delivered. And what do they do? They complain against Moses, saying, you brought us out of here to die. But I want to show you something. And I brought you here. Well, oh, well, I didn't bring you here. You came here. But I came here tonight to share with you what I believe God wants family life 
what family church to know, what, what I believe is, is for you guys tonight. And that's for you to be, verse 4. In 11, verse 4, it says, I'd led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. Second Timothy, there's a passage that we are, many people that work for Teen Challenge are very, they're encouraged to memorize because it says, opponents must be gently instructed and hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth so that they can escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Right? That's talking about people that are in sin. The Bible is teaching us that opponents must be gently instructed. That's our only obligation. Gentle instruction. God handles the rest. Right? God is the one who brings about deliverance. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. So I want to talk to you about how you can be a tie. I gave you, a, well, many of you received a pamphlet on your way in. And that pamphlet is your tie of human kindness. That's your tie of love. And as throughout this service, I've asked you to be thinking about the people that you want to experience deliverance and freedom, that you want to be delivered, that you know God is so desperately, God is on the sidelines of their life, and God is screaming, he's like, come back to me, right? And you're just watching as God is so desperately trying to pull them back in, but God gives each one of us a garden and a choice, church. He gave each of you a garden. He gave each of you a choice, and every day you wake up and choose whether or not whom you're going to serve. You woke up today with a garden. You woke up with a choice. You get to decide who you're going to serve. And God is giving you an opportunity to serve him tonight, tomorrow, in the coming days. And that is with that tie. Acts chapter 3. If you can, go there. Acts chapter 3 is where we are going to close this thing out. Acts chapter 3 is one of my favorite passages. These men have heard me talk about Acts 3, the beautiful gate, probably dozens of times. I'm going to continue talking about it until I'm blue in the face. It's my favorite passage in the Bible. I love it so much. It's about... A man who's been lame from birth, sitting at a gate called Beautiful. See, Peter and John, this is at the beginning of the church. Peter and John are apostles, and they are leading so many to Christ. But they got into a habit, church. They got into a habit of going to church at the same time every day. They went to church at the time of prayer, which was about three in the afternoon. And as they were on their way, they saw a man who was lame at the gate called Beautiful. This man who's been lame has been placed there every day. And you find out later in the book of Acts that this man is 40 years old at this point. So he's been sitting at this gate for 40 years. Peter and John have been walking by this man multiple times. But why is this the moment? Well, you can look for yourself. But Acts, Peter and John, they, they see this man. And they gaze into him. This man asks Peter and John for money. Peter and John look at them and they say, Silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. They were on their way to church. They were on their way to prayer. And they were interrupted by a man who was waiting for someone to see what he really struggled with. This man was lame, and he was sitting at this gate called Beautiful, and he, he'd come to a place where he was comfortable with this bondage where he knew it. He knew he was lame. There was nothing that was going to change this. So he thought, I need money in order to continue along this. He needs money to live, right? So Peter and John look past what he said he needed into what he really did. God's going to do this in your life. God is going to bring people into your life, and these people are going to look 
into you. They're going to gaze into you and see what it is you're actually struggling with. And it's up to you, church, to open your ears to listen to what it is they have to say. See, Peter and John, they said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And the man doesn't move. He sits there. Peter reaches down and grabs him by the hand, and he hasn't moved yet. Peter grabs him by the hand and yanks him up, and he starts to move. And it says instantly his feet and legs grew strong. And he started to jump around, right? He's, he's got power in his legs. If you look at verse 12, you'll see why this passage is so important to us at Teen Challenge. Verse 12 indicates that this man, although he had strength in his legs, had never walked before. He needed to learn how to walk. So he holds on to Peter and John as Peter and John lead him to his destiny, which is to begin the church. Guys, a lot of people look at Peter as the rock of the church. A lot of people look at the book of Acts, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yes. One of my favorite things that's hidden in plain sight is that the beginning of God's will for the beginning of the beginning of his church, right? He says in Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the earth. He says Jerusalem first. That's important. They've been reaching the outskirts of Jerusalem. They've been reaching outside the temple. They have yet to reach inside the temple. They have yet to really make a change. And so what? does God use to begin the move, right? And from this moment, you see the story launches. He takes this man who's been lame, who's been bound up to a bondage he is so familiar with. Take this man and they lead him into the temple courts. And he's jumping and praising God, but he's leaning on these men. Church, I want you to grab that pamphlet. I want you to have it in your hand because that pamphlet, that pamphlet is that interruption. I want you to keep that in your car. I want you to keep it in your wallet, in your purse, whatever you got to do, I want you to keep that with you because somebody was interrupted in my life. Somebody took a moment out of their day. They were in the middle of work and they heard the call and they came running. My name is Michael. I was, I'm right now 31. When I came into Teen Challenge, I was 25. When I came into Teen Challenge, I had never met or known God. I didn't know anything about him. And my entire life had been quite literally like, I can't even express to you the pain and sorrow that I felt for so many years. My parents split up when I was a teenager before I was able to drive. And I was there to take care of my siblings because my dad was forced out of the house. My mom started using drugs and drinking. And there I was trying to save her life almost on a daily basis. I'd come home from school and she'd be overdosing. I have to protect my siblings from that. So I ended up having to put a mask on. I started using drugs and drinking. And before you knew it, I just wanted to get away. And so by the age of 17, I'm in college and I get a phone call from my dad. I tried to run away, but I could not run away from what, what I thought I was supposed to do, which was save my family. Make it to college and I get a phone call five days before my 18th birthday. My dad calls me to tell me that my mother has shot herself in front of my siblings. I know what hurt is. I, I went down a very dark road as a result of it. Ten years of drug and alcohol abuse. I ended up in the hospital because I tried to take my own life. Before I lost consciousness, I was trying to shove a knife into my arm, and I said, God, I'm sorry. I woke up in the hospital. At the foot of my bed is my dad, and he's weeping, and he just wants to save me, but he can't. But there was someone there at my bedside who I'd worked with occasionally, and I knew he knew God. He came to my bedside and he told me about the teen challenge. It was dirty. He was covered in dirt. He was laying sod that day. He said, hey, I wanted, I wanted to tell you about teen challenge. I think it can help you. I said, yeah, I'll go. 
I'll do it. I was, I was ready to die for nothing. I'll live for something. I came into the doors of Teen Challenge, and I was radically delivered from drug and alcohol addiction. I had a seizure disorder. Doctors say I would never be free from. God totally delivered me from that. I have experienced the joy that's found in Jesus Christ. I was the lame man at the gate of beautiful church. Please be that tie of human kindness for me. I'm asking you a personal favor. I'm asking you to help me in the future. You get that phone call when you find that person in your life. You have the tools that you need to help them. That tool starts with your relationship with Jesus Christ, your prayer life. That pamphlet is the avenue. It can be the way. It can be the reach down. It can be the thing that you need to help them. And inside that pamphlet is how you can help us. Adult and Teen Challenge, we are a nonprofit. 70% of our budget is met by the work of our hands. The table out there, you're going to see candles and and air fresheners, and you're going to see crosses. We make that stuff to help provide for our organization. This, our doors are kept open because we work really hard, but 30%, about 40 to 30% of our budget is met by churches, by people like you. But I'm going to tell you what our greatest need is. Our greatest need is inside that pamphlet. And I want you to take a look at it, because inside that pamphlet is a slip of paper, and it says monthly gift. There's also one that says text to give. Our greatest need is monthly givers, people to help us on the, on, on the months when we're light, when we don't have much work. Inside that, I want you to think about what it is that you would give each month. I know we have Netflix memberships that run at like $12 a month now. You got all these Amazon Prime, all this stuff. Would you portion out 10? Maybe 20 that you could give towards a program that is truly there for the people that need it the most. Because of people that gave, people like you that gave, the doors were open for me when I needed it the most. So I'm going to encourage you to do that. If you fill out that slip of paper and you get that payment information on there, you can take that to our, our table out front. And they will give you something from our, our table because we, we're just saying thank you. We're going to give you that, and, and we encourage you to become involved. Uh, this, this, this Saturday, we're actually going into our community to help with an outreach. Uh, Teen Challenge is not just a ministry that receives. We are active in ministry, going out and reaching people for Jesus Christ. We're here tonight for you. So we have a prayer team. Guys, if you would come forward. I got some guys that have been, uh, been themselves delivered from addiction. They have experienced the radical power found only in Jesus Christ. They have been, uh, they have been uh, anointed for this purpose tonight. I brought them here. We, we are here tonight at this altar to provide for you weapons, right? Ammunition, prayer for those people that need it the most. If you have a loved one in your life, it's an addiction. You know their name. That's all you need. This boldness to come forward with their name. If you have, if you have friends that are in addiction, you know their name. You got people in your community you know that are in addiction that are struggling. You can be the person that stands in the gap tonight because we don't know their names, but you do. So we need you to stand in their gap. We need you to come forward so we can help pray for this community. You can help, you can, you can stand in the gap. So church, tonight, thank you so much for having us. Thank you for bringing us here, but we want to help bless you. I'm going to share with you a testimony about what's happened in a service just like this. Somebody was hearing me talk about a loved one and their husband was at home. Her husband was at home and she had come to church by herself because he would not stop drinking. She decided to answer this call and she came forward and a couple of guys in Teen Challenge who've been saved for a few months laid hands, right? We we prayed. She got home and her husband came up to her and said, I don't want to drink anymore. I'm not going to drink anymore. 
his life has never been the same. Would you step out in faith? Would you be that cord of human kindness? Would you be that tie of love? Would you come forward tonight and stand in the gap for someone that you love? I'm going to be handing off to the pastor. I encourage you to come forward for prayer, and then he's going to be leading you for the rest of this service. Thank you so much, Family Church, for having us.